Today on the Bill Kelly Podcast, I'm guest host Shona Thompson. Car thefts in Ontario are up 14%, and recently three ultra-high-end vehicles were stolen right off the lot. What can you do to protect your vehicle? OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt will tell us. Many polls do the where-do-the-political-parties-stand-in-support type of poll, but recently Abacus went farther, and the results were pretty interesting. We'll speak with the CEO of Abacus Data, David Coletto, about what they found. And it's been a bit of a week for music. Mick Jagger is 80, even if he doesn't know it. The Stones are welcoming Bill Wyman back, and we mark the passing of Randy Meisner of the Eagles and Sinead O'Connor with Lou Molinero of Durham College and the Harris Music Institute. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts right now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A report this week from the CAA had some interesting stats. First, vehicle theft in the province up by about 14%. And close to a third of respondents fear their car is going to be stolen. The association's Elliot Silverstein says that means most motorists really still aren't taking the necessary precautions to help prevent theft. One of the really telling pieces of our survey was that only um, a handful, 6 to 8%, were using tools like a Faraday pouch, which would block the uh, key fob signals, or using an, a, a steering wheel lock like the club in, in the past to keep their car safe. And it can happen very fast. A trick I learned in the car thief retirement home. By the time the first car is reported stolen, almost your ship set sail. Well, perhaps that's something that should have occurred to a downtown Toronto dealership. It had three vehicles stolen in broad daylight on a weekend, and they were pretty high-end vehicles. Here to talk more about this whole issue is Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, Manager of Media Relations with the Ontario Provincial Police. Thanks for joining us, Kerry. Good morning. Thanks for having me. A Bentley and two rolls right off the lot in broad daylight with video cameras all over the place, they didn't care. They're, they have a plan, they what they're doing, they know how to do it. And uh, yeah, it is, it is shocking and staggering to see the number of vehicles that are being stolen on a daily basis uh, in urban centers and really all across the province. Yeah, that the, the Bentley and two rolls, that was about a million dollars worth of vehicles. But when it's your own car, that means everything to you. It sure does. And uh, we've seen carjackings in the past and, and situations, and, and some have turned tragic even recently. Uh, and, and losing your vehicle, your pride and joy, your character, your personality, uh, people will defend that. And uh, we've got to remember, it's a piece of property. We don't want people getting hurt. But when you wake up in the morning and you go out to, to find your vehicle and see the parking spot is empty, you know, that's a very uh, you know concerning, violating, and upsetting feeling. And it happens. Happens, you know, thousands of times um, a year, uh, multiple thousands, and it really is uh, an issue that we're trying to get a handle on. Uh, but these thieves, uh, they are using technology. They are getting around so many safety systems. Everyone thinks, put, hit the key fob, hit the lock, uh, the, the lights uh, chirp, and the little red light starts flashing, uh, that your vehicle is safe. And, you know, we've seen how thieves with uh, some technology can swoop into a car, into an area, and and drive away with your vehicle in seconds. Well, one of the reports that I was uh, watching and getting prepared to speak with you today, um, it was from Global News, and it took about 20 minutes for three thieves to steal a Lexus out of a driveway, 
And the yeah. video camera was rolling the whole time. And really, all we had was really great visuals of the theft occurring. Yeah, and you know what? Having a security camera is, is fantastic. Maybe some uh, motion detection lights uh, may offer some deterrence. But if someone wants to steal your car, and very often these people, they're, look, they're not looking for a, any car in the driveway. Like back in the movies where you jump into a car with a hanger, you, you jim, jimmy the lock, and uh, you grab some wires from underneath, and you touch them, and also the vehicle starts and goes. That's not the way they do things now. These are these are custom ordered, uh, stolen to order type uh, situation. So if you have a particular vehicle and the thieves want it, they will do whatever they can to get it. And uh, really, you know, just like CA Elliot was saying in his bit as well, make your vehicle unattractive uh, in terms of making it inaccessible or or you know we don't want it. You know, throw it out to our neighbors, but make your neighbor's car more more easily available than your own car and we want everyone to hear that message so we want all cars to be inaccessible and unavailable but uh, you know the more you do to protect your vehicle you know by blocking it in by you know making it uh, inaccessible however your driveway or parking spot is set up uh, you you stand a better chance but again motivated thieves are, are going to go to extreme measures to get what they want. Uh, your point is well taken, though, Carrie. When I pull into the radio station in the early morning, there are usually some guys, there's a, there's a gaming place on the main floor, and I can't believe the level, like how expensive some of the cars are, you know, really expensive yeah. uh, BMWs and Mercedes. My little sedan has never seemed so safe as when I'm <laughs> nestled in between two of them. Nobody is well, taking my car. Well, maybe, maybe not, because, you know, in some situations, your car may be on the thieves' order list, and maybe they want uh, whatever it is that you're driving. You know, a lot of people think their car are unstealable, and a lot of manufacturers and, and, and companies will tell you that these vehicles, you know, they have new technology, uh, but, uh, you know, again, there are, you know ways that the thieves are circumventing this, uh, tracking devices. You know, a lot of vehicles have, uh, like, OnStar or, you know, other vehicle tracking capabilities, which which is great, uh, and uh, and that can certainly help, you know, police in investigating and tracking vehicles. You know, I've seen situations where a vehicle's been reported stolen, and when the tracking company starts uh, checking where the vehicle is, for some reason, it's uh, it's heading down the St. Lawrence in the middle of the river. Well, that tells you it's on a container already, and it's uh, heading out of the country. Uh, and this happens fast. Uh, these cars can go from your driveway to a parking lot or to a staging location uh, where the vehicles are loaded into trailers or containers and uh, never seen from again until... Uh, you know, you see the pictures from, you know, another country where they're for sale on some uh, parking lot. And then it's goodbye. It's gone. And it's good. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, the OPP, you know, we've had, you know, thousands of, of uh, reported vehicle thefts you know, last year. And, and this year we're kind of on par, you know, approximately the same kind of numbers last year as this year. Some areas are growing, some areas are decreasing, but again, for every vehicle that's stolen, you know, again, sure, that's our insurance premiums that we're also having to uh, to cover, and it's the loss and the vulnerability that people feel when that uh, vehicle's lost and the personal effects that are in there as well. So uh, again, you know, use whatever devices you can, you know, tracking systems, uh, you know, lock systems, security systems. There's a lot of interesting uh 
pieces of equipment you can actually put aftermarket on your vehicle that you can customize a an uh, immobilizer that no one that is over and above uh, the vehicle's uh, computers. And by doing that kind of stuff, you know, there's only one way to start your vehicle, and that might be from, you know, hitting your horn, turning on your radio, turning on the fan, and hitting the hazard, like whatever. You can you can set a combination, and there's different uh, products that will, you know, disable vehicles, you know, in addition to what thieves think they can uh, steal their vehicle. Uh, I've even talked to investigators. You know, if your vehicle is parked, you have a nice vehicle, take out the battery. You know, you can't, they can't steal it if they can't start it. So if there's a way to, uh, you know, disconnect and, and completely dis, uh, disable the vehicle's power system, uh, you'll um, you'll likely have the car in the morning. Yeah, they're not likely to spend the time to troubleshoot as to what the problem is. Um, but one of the things that thieves are doing is they're cloning keys for these cars. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and, and in some cases, I'll tell you, they don't even need the clone keys. They can do it through computers, and they don't even have to have that cloned uh, the key. They can send a signal, the vehicle will start, and uh, it'll, it'll go even without a key fob. And um, but you're right. I have seen uh, clone keys where people, and we've had officers stop vehicles, and, and the fob that they show us um, doesn't even have uh, key cuts onto the little uh onto the key itself if it has the uh, the old school uh, you know, uh key key lock and they uh, they can reprogram these things you know, driving the car you know all through uh the computer electronics and and that's that's a scary thing we are trying to keep up and and provide countermeasures that will protect uh you know the community and the public and the, and the owners of these vehicles uh, but again, the thieves are always engineering what they have to to get around it. So, you know, we're just asking everyone to be vigilant. And if you see someone suspicious walking down your street, um, you know, they, they walk with confidence. You, you don't know. But if someone's poking around your car or your neighbor's car, I would suggest you walk over there and ring that house doorbell and make sure they they know if these are friends or, or foes. And, uh, and you can chase them away, I hope. But, you know, they come under the cloak of darkness uh, and like you were saying at the beginning you know they will do this brazenly in broad daylight exactly um just uh, really quickly because we only have about a minute left with you carrie um what are some of the basic things that people can do i know that uh, caa was recommending parking the lesser value vehicle as the last <laughs> one in the driveway yeah exactly yeah put the beater uh the beater car uh, in the, in front of your, your nice car that you're going to be driving, you'll be shuttling back and forth, uh, you know, putting blocks and locks uh, around it. Uh, I don't know. People will secure their, their boat trailers and so on with chains and locks. And people may cut them, but some thieves may not come with those tools because they think they can do it with just their electronics. Uh, yeah, the club and all these little uh, anti-theft deterrent uh, things in your vehicle, like I said before, Take out the battery completely. If uh, if you have a weekend car that uh, you only cruise uh, with, uh, you know, on special occasions, um, uh, put it in the garage. Like you know, the key fobs. Uh, sometimes they clone the key fobs. You know, that's a kind of an older way. Put the key fobs far away from the door. You know, don't make it so easy that someone can just smash and grab uh, a, do- a window through your uh, house grab the keys and jump off uh, with the actual keys. So just keep that in mind to keep watchful eye in your, in your neighborhood. And 
yeah, I guess make sure you uh, talk to your insurance company as well and make sure you're covered for those kinds of losses if they are are coming and be aware of which vehicles are most uh, prone to uh, to thieves. It always changes and you know and that can be found on sites where they talk about most stolen vehicles. So think that you is going to keep your vehicle secure. Look at options and and maybe invest in something that will give you some comfort safety and security, knowing that uh, you'll be there when you need it. Well, Kerry, thank you so much for your time and your advice. (laughs) Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is the Manager of Media Relations for the Ontario Provincial Police. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you just take a look at opinion polls in Ontario politics, you'll see that well, summer might be feeling pretty good for Doug Ford. 41% support compared to 24% for the leaderless Liberals, 23% for Marit Stiles NDP. But Abacus data, they went a little bit farther. And what they found could be very telling. Joining us now on the line is David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Awesome. Tell me about this latest poll. Yeah, so we just completed a poll uh, that we finished uh, two days ago, interviewed a thousand Ontarians, and we asked uh, a bunch of questions, almost like a report card on uh, the Ford government and how Ontarians are feeling about its performance. And, you know, as you said, we asked also the question of how people would vote if an election were held today, which it is not. But uh, it it shows that, um, you know, Doug Ford and the PCs have a big lead if, uh, if people had a chance to vote, but that's despite some... Um, some challenges on specific issues that people think the government's not not handling particularly well. And that's what I found really interesting. So what were some of the respondents' uh, reactions and, and what kind of support to those questions did you find? Yeah, so one of the things we asked is, you know, how would you rate the government on a scale from zero to 10 on, on a number of areas, um, from, you know, growing the economy to improving public transit to keeping taxes low to, to housing and, and what we found is, you know, there are three areas in particular where, where half or more Ontarians really give the government very low marks, like zero to three out of, out of 10. And that is making life more affordable, uh, making housing more accessible and affordable, and improving the healthcare system. So those are the three where, you know, people told us in other surveys are their top issues, and they, they aren't feeling that the government is focused enough on those and, and probably making enough progress in, in, in helping them either solve it in the case of healthcare, making the system better, or, or despite how much of a priority I think people might feel, or, or at least the premier feels he's making on housing, um, people aren't seeing much results yet. And that's why I think you're seeing the, the kind of response we're getting. Well, and, and one of the things that seems to be really interesting about this poll is that there seems to be a shift in confidence in Doug Ford and, uh, and his his character, because a lot of them are feeling that what he's doing is really about helping friends and supporters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this comes out of, you know, the stories over the last, you know, few months about, you know, developing the green belt around Toronto and, and Hamilton, um, you know, the, the stag and doe and his daughter's wedding and, and having a lot of developers and friends there, you know, giving pretty nice gifts to, to him. And then the most recent um, I would call it controversy around, you know, the the the, the King's Council, the, the the awards or the the honorary uh, uh, things they give to lawyers, and and how you know friends of the premier or friends of the party seem to be getting those. And so we asked people, do you think that when it comes to decisions the, the that Doug Ford and his government make, are they more about 
you know, what's in the best interest of his friends or supporters, or is it more about what's in the best interest of, of people in the province? And we found by almost a two-to-one margin, 54% of Ontarians think, you know, he's making decisions that's in the best interest of his friends and supporters, versus 27% who think it's he's making those decisions in the best interest of people in the province, and the rest, 19%, are unsure. So I think it shows... Um, you know, it's not everybody, um, but it's a sizable portion of the province are feeling that the provincial government isn't in it for them, right? Is in it for somebody else, in it for the friends of, of the premier or the party or, or who have you. And I think that's, this is becoming a, a real challenge for the premier himself. And, and despite them, you know, having a big lead in the polls, um, I live in Ottawa and, and last night the, the PCs lost, uh, one of their seats. In, in a by-election here to the Liberals. They lost in Scarborough yesterday as well. That might be indicative of when voters are actually asked to pass judgment on the government, that it may not be as, as smooth sailing as perhaps some of the other polling questions we asked. And it, I think it has a lot to do with this, this motivation that people think uh, the Premier has towards why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, it becomes a question of, of integrity. It is. And, and to me, that is... is kind of how governments in particular premiers kind of come and go, right? Um, if you don't believe someone's doing things for the right reasons, um, for your interests, then it doesn't matter then what they do or, or what they say. Um, and it's really hard to rebuild that, that trust. So this is, this is something I think the government needs to, to be mindful of. It's, it's why, you know, we ask this question because, you know, they've been in the weeds on this for, for a few weeks now and it, it, it might start to really hurt them as, as the Liberals select a new leader and we get closer to an election that's not that close, but nonetheless something for, 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 the, for the Premier to be thinking about. Well, and when an election is coming, but it's not that close, as you just mentioned, something like housing affordability, we're going to want to see some real action on that. And, you know, it seems like opening up the green belt for housing development really hasn't hit well. He's going to have to come up with something else. Yeah, and, and I think that's the challenge of the housing file, to give, to give anybody credit. It's, it's all three levels of government are, are feeling the pressure on this. And you can't build a house overnight, but it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Our can't, you know, the province is growing pretty rapidly. We're, we're welcoming you know, hundreds of thousands of new immigrants every year. And, and our housing starts are actually slowing because high interest rates. So this is going to become, a, a, I think, an acute political problem for, for the Premier. He said uh, multiple times, Minister Clark, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, that this is one of the government's top priorities, housing. But at the end of the day, people are going to judge it not by what you say, but by what you do. And um, so far, most people in the province aren't seeing the results yet. And so he's got some time to do it, but it's a, it's a real challenging issue for him to, to navigate. Well, if we're going to make a list of acute issues, we can add certainly health care and the environment to that list. And, and those are two other areas where people, you know, don't feel that the premier and the government put much focus. Health care is in particular, I think, another challenging one, right? The, the pandemic reminded everybody of, of how fragile our health care system is. Um, you know, wait times remain really high. People still are having a hard time finding uh, a family doctor. And again, as the population grows, um, if we aren't investing, if we aren't increasing the capacity of the system, these, these concerns are only going to get worse. And so I think 
you know, my, my read of the data and how people are feeling is, on, on the one hand, you know, the people who voted for, for Doug Ford in, in, in 2022, on the most part, are pretty happy with what the government's done. But there are storm clouds that are that are really brewing. And so the government's standing today is is really despite all the challenges it's facing. And I think it, it's going to become more apparent over time if they aren't able to really make a make progress on these big issues like the environment, like healthcare, like housing, um, that we can't, you know, we, the, the premier can't um, feel entirely confident that he can easily win another election again. Especially, you know, when the, there are these key issues of affordability, housing affordability, health care, education as well. Um, and, and we're not seeing any moves, but we know he's sitting on billions of dollars that could make a change. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's a very vulnerable position to be in. Right. And and I know Merritt Stiles has, has sort of the new NDP leader has come out swinging and is, is aggressive. We're going to see a new liberal leader uh, emerge in the next few months. Um there's going to be a lot of pressure on on the premier. So I I mean I think I think this is just the start to, to and we're going to continue to track this. But I think you're right. Um, there's a lot of lot of problems um, that that people are starting to think about. And if you're sitting on this pile of money, people are going to start wondering why didn't you do something? You knew this was going to be a problem, and um, didn't do enough to fix it. Yeah, you're sitting on a pile of money. You're not really moving to, you know, fix some of the key core issues that you're supposed to be in charge of, like health care. But you're spending a lot of time doling out a lot of stuff for your for your buds. That's going to be a really tough position. It is. And probably the, 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 the a cocktail that that won't 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 land well right with people. And it isn't. Um, and that's, I think, something if these by-elections that happened uh, yesterday are any indication um, you know, the seat in Canada, which is just west of Ottawa, where close where I live, that that had been uh, a PC seat for a hundred years, and and they lost it yesterday. So that might be indicative of a lot of unease right now with the provincial government, and and it's I think all related to, to all those issues you've highlighted. Yeah, and they it went liberal without there being a leader. Yeah, so that tells you a lot. Although although I will say the the the, the candidate who won was the former MP for the region, so high profile, but still uh, a leaderless party uh, that's not even an official party in the legislature. Um, you know, defeated uh, uh, the, the government in a seat they've held for almost all of our lives. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, a lot of moving parts, and I know that you're going to be keeping an eye on a lot of them. We will. We're going to keep tracking this. It's uh, it's challenging days, but but as a market researcher and a pollster, pretty pretty fascinating to be able to ask people questions. Absolutely, David. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. You too. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're hoping to get in touch with Lou Molinero uh, from the um, Durham College and the Harris Institute for Music because so much has been happening in the world of music this week and some of it has been very, very tragic. Last weekend, of course, there was the passing of Tony Bennett and then we found out this week that Sinead O'Connor has passed away at the age of 56. An incredible talent, a beautiful person, 
and uh, a very troubled life as well. She leaves behind three children. She was only 56 years old. And then uh, just in the last day or so, we found out about the passing of one of the founding members of the Eagles, Randy Meisner. Uh, He'd passed away on Wednesday, uh, and he was a founding member. He was uh, about 77. Uh, And I understand we have tracked down Lou Molinero now. Hi, Lou. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. Sorry for calling in late. I was just kind of busy. That's that's okay. It happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as I was mentioning, a, a lot has been going on in music this week, um, none the least of which we just found out about the passing of Randy Meisner of the Eagles. Randy Meisner was one of those guys that really did a lot, but unfortunately was never um, just kind of accounted for a lot of things that he did for the Eagles. Like a lot of the times when you hear those really great high harmonies, that was Randy Meisner. Uh, but he, he was a, a great bass player. He was one of those guys that wasn't really into being in the spotlight. He was kind of a sit back, play, enjoy uh, kind of musician. But the, the other thing about Randy Meisner was that, uh, you know, certain people that, like, this is a really tough industry. And certain people um, that get into the music industry really want to strive, and that becomes their priority. Randy Meisner was torn whether he wanted to be a rock star or a family man. And um, after the uh, the success of Hotel California, he left because he uh, just uh, was getting homesick and um, didn't want to just be a rock star and, and, and have that prioritize his life. So uh, it's kind of weird where some people would just die to do what uh, Randy Meisner was doing. However, um, he decided to uh, stay back and uh, he left the Eagles, especially after uh, Hotel California. Well, then he'd have certainly enough money to uh, be stay home and be a family man. Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, but he still uh, maintained, um, you know, his consistency with music. He uh, put out a couple of solo albums, uh, but he didn't really achieve the heights that he did when he was uh, in the Eagles. And another thing that um, people tend to forget, he was also uh, an original member of Poco, and uh, he also played in the Stone Canyon band, which was uh, Ricky Nelson's band. So he was certainly uh, a player that uh, had some major accolades in, uh, in rock music. Yeah, and a very well-regarded musician. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the other things that was like, what? Really? Mick Jagger is 80, although I don't think he realizes it. No, it's so weird when you think about it, because like a lot of the times I always think about, you know... Um, you know, family that I know that are 80 years old. And then you think about someone like Mick Jagger and you think, wow, this is incredible, but he's something else. And, uh, you know, like uh, I, I mentioned this in, in, in my Facebook uh, uh, post a couple of days ago, we are so lucky that we're living through the life and times of the Rolling Stones. There's been a lot of tragedy, great times uh, that have happened. Uh, but the, the Stones are just something else, and it's because of Mick Jagger. Uh, he, he just, uh, you know, he teaches us all that we don't have to get old, uh, and we don't have to typically just be 80 years old. Like a lot of us feel that, you know, a senior citizen at 80 years old, who would ever think that uh, an 80-year-old person uh, could uh, act and behave and be like <laughs> Mick Jagger? He's unbelievable. And the one thing that I was thinking about this is, you know, you've got people like Elvis Presley and... Um, you know, the Beatles, but Mick Jagger is the face of rock and roll and will always be probably one of the most identifiable figures and faces in the world. 
And we're just, again, just so lucky to be living during the uh, the life and times of the Stones. Yeah, those dance moves, though, they're fun at 20. It's a slipped disc when you're 80. <laughs> Come on. Unless you're Mick, right? Yeah, unless you're Mick. Would you think that? Would you say that he's probably the greatest uh, front person? I I I, I mentioned hmm. this in a Facebook page or a post uh, on my page uh, a couple of days ago when he turned uh, eighty, and some people didn't think so. They they thought maybe in the top ten, but to me, I think he's the greatest. Well, I think he really kind of established the place, didn't he? I mean, he was pretty much the front runner of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but one of the other things that I found really interesting is that Bill Wyman is coming back. He's been in the studio with the Stones, and he's working with them on their coming album. So I think it's safe to say that this might be the last Rolling Stones album. And um, it, it, it's sad in a way, but it's kind of like a swan song. Like, I mean, from what I understand, the, the, the album is you know, kind of a tribute to Charlie Watts. And Charlie also, before he passed away, uh, played some drums and recorded some drums for this uh, upcoming album. Uh, Having Bill Wyman is such a classy thing because he is an original Rolling Stone. And I think it's just certainly a great way of kind of, you know, just tapping it and just saying, okay, well, you know, we began with Bill and if this is going to be our last album, we might as well have Bill on this record as well. But it also includes uh, Paul McCartney, and it's you know it, it's kind of sad in a way to think that this might be the last Rolling Stones album. But I'm pretty safe in saying that it probably will be. Um, so uh, I again I I just think it's a it's a really classy thing for the Rolling Stones to have uh, Bill Wyman included on this record. Yeah, and it makes sense that this is a tribute to Charlie Watts because one of the impressions that I always had of him was, of course, he was an amazing drummer, but he sort of was back there and it's like, the guys are going to do what the guys are going to do and I'm just going to keep time. Sure, and bass players and drummers uh, are always connected in keeping the beat, so uh, who better than uh, Bill Wyman to really understand Charlie Watts? Um, But... You know, when you think about the importance of rock and roll bands, um, you know, we can go on forever talking about the Stones. And um, just like Randy Meisner, Bill Wyman was sort of like the quiet guy in the band, but still a a really key figure uh, to a lot of those great Rolling Stones songs, especially when you hear certain bass riffs that uh, will forever be timeless. It's Bill Wyman's work. Yeah. We're speaking with Lou Molinero, who's from Durham College and the Harris Institute of Music. Um, One of the other uh, things going on that I thought was kind of interesting and I wanted to get your take on, uh, some of the changes that are coming to Spotify. (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I was thinking about this. uh, Well, you know, I've been looking at Spotify in the last little while and how they're, they're kind of changing, especially with a lot of the AI thing. Uh, movement that's been happening and um, I kind of think it's just a sign of the times but it makes me feel that I'm getting older because I feel that uh, you know a lot of these changes are really kind of geared towards um, more of a a younger demographic Uh, like people in my age group uh, you know I think we're still stuck listening to radio stations and DJs and we build these relationships with uh, on-air personalities and we look forward to hearing uh, the, the, these people every day at a certain time and we tune in 
And with uh, Spotify right now uh, doing a lot of the AI, uh, it it just seems that the younger generation or (laughs) I guess uh, the demographic that really hits uh, Spotify the most, excuse me, are... um, you know, just like uh, maybe they they just don't care as much uh, about radio like we did, and they don't want to build these uh, relationships and 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 just kind of this consistency. So I think Spotify is just kind of gearing in a in a direction uh, more so for a younger demographic, a demographic that uh, is willing to accept a lot of these technological changes and. So be it. It's interesting, but I think you have to be uh, uh, current, uh, and 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 that's one of the things about uh, radio and streaming right now is that you just can't sit on um, you know your 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 laurels of uh, the way you've been the last few years. You just have to kind of flip the page and uh, see what else is out there. And I think uh, that's what's happening with Spotify right now, and a lot with AI. I don't know. <laughs> um, personally, I'm open-minded uh i i don't know if uh ai is something that will appeal to me with uh spotify but it seems like a, a lot of um other demographics uh, are certainly keen to it yeah but one of the things that that won't do for you is help you learn more about the music and that's one of the reasons why radio i think and i'm biased i admit it um <laughs> why radio has always stood out sure um, and, and the other thing as well is is that um, you know you, you you're going to miss that true personality. Um, radio always you know it, it's such a an important um, medium. Uh, and, and and again, like I put a lot of emphasis towards the, the personalities uh, that uh, host these shows. And like to me, growing up, uh, I I loved radio because you, you, again, you build a relationship with someone because there's a, a reason why you tune in to a, a person's radio show. And a lot of the times, it's because they're informative and they're telling you things that you don't know. And before you know it, uh, the the flavor of the week becomes a band that you're going to follow for the rest of your life. But it's simply because, um, you know, whether they're following a, a, a format of playing specific music or whatever, it's still the personality that's really kind of selling the, the song to you. And, you know, just this uh, kind of AI thing, I, I think doesn't really appeal to, to me because of that. But it just seems that maybe a lot of people nowadays, especially a lot of younger music fans, Things move so fast. Maybe that's just not important to them. Uh, yeah. Maybe they Lou, don't want to build. We're, I think that's a good place to leave it on because you're talking up radio. Uh, Lou Molinero <laughs> is our guest from Durham College and the Harris Institute of Music. Thanks for your time, Lou. Enjoy your weekend. And you. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.